0: Now I'm thankful tonight that I've got a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as I share with you this personal word of testimony, I want us to focus in on the words of Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. And I want us to think tonight of three things. And here's the first thing the confession of salvation. You see, the psalmist here, uh, Isaiah the prophet, is making a declaration Behold, God is my salvation. Now, in relation to myself, when did I get saved? I got saved when I was 18 years of age, almost on my 18th birthday. Where did I get saved? I get saved in a Roman Catholic lodging house in James's Street here in Coleraine. Not in a church, not in a cathedral, but in a Roman Catholic lodging house at the age of 18. Why did I get saved that night? I remember it well. It was a Sabbath evening. I was under conviction of sin. I had discovered the most wonderful discovery that any person could discover. And it was this, that I was a vile, guilty, hell-deserving sinner. And if God had put me into hell that night, I'd have received the just deserts of all of my sin. Let me back up a little bit. You see, I was born in Meckerfeld. I share that with the Reverend McRae. It wasn't gifted it was singing. But I try my best. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And that's what I try to do. And I love singing praises unto the Lord. After I was one years of age or somewhere in around that, I was taken to live in Albana Street in Belfast. Having lived there for a number of years as a boy, my mother died when I was very young. And then I was brought to uh, live with an aunt, uh, a lady called Maud McFall, the late Maud McFaul, out uh, in Drumadraw, not that far here from the church. Many of you are familiar with it. My aunt was a good woman. She was a God-fearing woman. She saw to it that I was sent along to church and Sunday school every Sunday. Notice I said sent. You see, there's a difference between sent and taken. I had to walk three miles, I mean, if any of you know Drummond Draw, familiar with it, over to Balrus where the creamery is, where the old parish church there is. And I had to walk there and walk back again. And there was a lady there that made sure that we were there every Sunday, so there was no skipping off. There was no mitching or hiding. And, of course, if we didn't turn up the church, then you got a thick ear at the end of the day. Well, whenever I was 13 years of age, I remember having a massive row with my aunt. You see, I said to my aunt, they're a bunch of hypocrites, you know. They stand up in church and they sing. Sing very well. Good singing. They kneel and they offer prayer. I can see them on their cushions. They're kneeling down. They're, they're obviously praying to God when they come into the house of God. And, and that's commendable. But they're the very same people that I see staggering home drunk from the pub on the Saturday night. From used to be the Bow Hill Hotel. Some of you are old enough to remember it and other establishments here in the town. They were the very same people that Kirsten swore at me if we were kicking football in around the 12th of July and the ball had went into the garden and maybe broke a few orange lilies or, or or maybe bruised up against a sweet William plant. Well, you got a real earful. You were told where to go and where to play with your ball. They were the very same people. Some of them, now not them all, but some of them, were living in a moral lifestyle because they were leaving... Their wives and gone off with other women, that they, they were leaving their, 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 their husbands and gone off with other men. And you see, as a young fella, 13 years of age, sitting in a parish church outside Ballar and I was saying to myself, well, that's play acting. They're being hypocrites. They're professing the name of God, singing praise unto Him, but yet they're not living right. And see, I told my aunt that I wasn't going back. And of course, there was a big rye. She said, you are, and I said, I'm not. And I can tell you, I got a few thumps with the wooden spoon and the cane and a few thumps around the ear. And, uh, but I, I was doggedly determined I wasn't going and I didn't go. Let me back up a little bit to when I was 11, when I was 11 years of age, I started to smoke cigarettes. I smoked Park drive, used to steal them from my late uncle Tommy McFall and, um, Around the back of the shed and whatever we could get the opportunity. We thought this was great. We thought this was living, you see. We're watching people in the television smoking, and we thought we're old enough to smoke, we can smoke if we want. I took my first drink when I was eleven years of age. I remember it well. It was a, a glass of Trinidadian rum that my father had brought home from Trinidad and Tobago. You see, I had no fear of God. I had no thought of God. I, I never read the Bible. And isn't that symptomatic of many from the Ulster Scots, the, the loyalist, unionist, Protestant tradition? Young people growing up, no fear thought of God. No, no, never read the Bible, not in the house of God in the day of God, living for self and living for sin. Well, that was a picture of me. Now, I have to tell you something else. Whenever I went to the parish church, I always liked going at Christmas time. Now, I'll tell you why I liked going to Christmas time. Not because I got a present. I don't think I ever got a present. But because they sang that lovely hymn, Wanston Royal, David City. In, see, my name's David. Wanston Royal, David City. You know what is that? That's a nice hymn. David has a city. And of course, as a young fella, I couldn't really join all the dots, but, but I liked that particular hymn. I went at the age of 16 and started to serve my time as a an apprentice joiner. I fell in with a group of people from Ballybogie. They also worked in the place where I was working. It was here in Railway Street. It was LMA Construction. Don't think it's still there. And um, we went off at the weekend. Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. You would have found us in Kelly's Nightclub. Some of you might remember uh, the name Jackson McVicar. The older Jackson, the younger Jackson, the other Jackson... And, uh, well, we we run about together. And we had this philosophy of wine and woman and song. And, you know, many, a Sunday night whenever uh, the wage packet would have been spent. I'd have been penniless on the Monday. We'd had to catch a cigarette or a packet of cigarettes from somebody else, borrow a few pounds to get me through to Thursday. And then whenever Thursday come and we got our paycheck, then we're down into Patsy McIntyre's pub here in Railway Street. Don't know if it's still there. And uh, used to put the cheque over the counter. Patsy would have cast it, give you the money. And then we would have spent some of it in drink before we headed off to uh, Kelly's nightclub. And you know, by the age of 18, drink had got a grip on David's life. David used to waken up with the horrors of drink, thinking that there was monsters coming out of the wall. I could see them coming for me. And I had a real fear of that. I used to wake up on the park bench there in in Anderson's Park and I didn't know where I was. Sometimes I didn't even know who I was. And a few weeks before my 18th birthday, there was a man at work. His name was Andy Alexander. Now, he was a joiner, but he was also the foreman of the workshop. And I remember saying to Andy, I would like to go to church sometime, Andy. And he put his arm around me and he said this. He said, young man, the church isn't the answer, but Christ is. I didn't know what he was talking about. He may as well be talking double Dutch, for I didn't understand that. But it stuck in my mind. Christ is. Christ is the answer. And that's a tremendous thing to discover in our land. Christ is the answer. It's not the church. It's Christ. On the Friday of a particular weekend, just as my 18th birthday was coming round, I was hanging a mahogany door in James's street as a wee homer getting a few pound, you see, heading to Kelly's and a few extra pound for apprentices joiners didn't get very much at that time. And um, I broke a pane of glass, 12 little panes, and I was putting in the last pane and it broke. And of course I rushed down to LMA construction for it had closed up, Andy was still there. And I said to Andy, "Uh, would you sell me a pane of glass? This was Andy. No. You will. No. You will. No. Hey, oh boy, this is going to be a, an afternoon. How could I leave a woman's door with a broken pane of glass? I'm not going to get paid. I'll have to think of something else. And then he says to me, I'll give you the pane of glass. I'll pay for it myself if you come with me tonight to the meeting. Okay. So we set off that Friday evening, and we drove from Coleraine to Limavady. And we got to Limavady. There was a big tent, and the tent was packed. There was five hundred people in that tent, and they sang their heart out. And then there was a, a wee man get up to preach. I could hardly see him among all the hats and the feathers that were sticking up. And I thought to myself, these hats must have cost a fortune for these women. Wherever they got them from, must have come from Paris, some show. And I was sitting there listening to this wee man. And this wee man got up to preach. And here was his text, John 10 and 10. I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And he says, young man, you're in this meeting tonight and you're looking for life. And you're lying in your bed at night and maybe a drunken stupor. And you're wondering what is life all about? And deep down, you're not satisfied. And you're thinking, there has to be more to life. This is a rat race. Because on Sunday night, you're catching cigarettes. And on Monday, you're borrowing money to buy fags. And on Thursday, you're down in the pub getting your check over the pub counter. And he's giving you the money, and you're giving it back in and drink. But deep down inside, you're satisfied. Come on with me, he said. I want to introduce you tonight to the giver of life. Well, that preacher was the Reverend Samworth, and the late Reverend Samworth. I never heard preaching like it. I sat up and listened. And he preached the most wonderfulest love story that anybody could hear. John 3 and 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. And he preached the gospel. And that Friday night just before my 18th birthday. I came under conviction of sin. And I didn't know what was troubling me. When we got to Anderson's Park here, the agreement with Andy was he was leaving me down to Port Rush. I was meeting Jackson McVicar and a pile of others down in Kelly's. Andy was the silent man, never uttered a word. Got down to Anderson's Park, and we were turning up the railway street, and he said to me, what way are we going, wee man? And I said, oh, just take me home. See, I couldn't go to Kelly's that night. And on the Saturday, we were supposed to go to Londonderry and buy some marijuana. I say that to my shame with a pile of others from the streets of Coleraine here. I'll not name names. I know that was wrong and sinful, but that was my intention. But you know, I couldn't go. Do you know, I get up on Saturday morning and there was a wee thought come into my head. Do you know what it was? It's the most profoundest thing that you could ever think about. Three words. See, the Holy Spirit was at work. I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. This is what was in my head. Jesus loves me. I remember the little hymn, the children's hymn, in the parish church, Jesus loves me. Yes, I know, for the Bible tells me so. That was on the Saturday. On the Sunday, I decided, you know what? I'm going to church. I'm living in James Street. I'm certainly not walking to Baldur's So I went down to the parish church here, St. Patrick's. It's in the middle of the town. And I was in there, it was a Sunday morning. I remember getting into the very back row and there was a lady come in and she had a number of children with her and she said, that's our seat. Why are you sitting there? We pay money for that. What are you doing in our seat? Well, I felt all embarrassed. I got up, I went out and walked about the gravestones and paced up and down the footpath. waited to the end of the service, came back in, knocked on the rector's door. Nobody was in the church but him. He opened the door and he said, yes, young man, how can I help you? And I I said, well, I don't know. I want to get saved. I want to get right with God. Can you help me? He said to me, young man, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do for you. I was flabbergasted. I couldn't believe it. Nothing you can do, Rector. No. Well, I went out dejected. I walked the streets of cool rain up and down. That night, late into the night, must have been about eight o'clock or half past eight, nine o'clock. I'm walking up past New Row in the post office and I bump into one of the McVickers. I hadn't seen Jackson for a couple of years. This was the other Jackson McVicker. Where have you been, Jackson? Oh, he said, did I not tell you I've been to Bible college? Well, I asked him, what are you doing there at Bible college? Oh, he says, did I not tell you? He says, I got saved. Did you not know that? And I said to him, saved, what is that? He said, well, I've asked Jesus into my heart. I said, that's what I want to do. How do you do that? And he started to talk. And I said, you're not making any sense. Just tell me how to do it. Well, he gave me a little tract. He said, you go home, read this tract, get down your knees and you pray, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I went home to the Roman Catholic lodging house where I was living, got down on my knees, looked at this little tract and it had God and man and union and communion. No words. And then it had... God and man separated by sin. Romans 3 and 23 was in the middle. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then it had God and man in the same picture, left and right. And in the middle there was the chasm and man trying to reach God with all these little boxes of prayer and almsgiving and good works and charity and, and everything else. But I noticed they're all falling short. They're not going to reach God's sight. And then the last little drawing, as I turned the tract over, God and man still separated, the chasm in the middle, but in the outline of a cross in red was the words Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes unto the Father but by me. And it's as if somebody had put the light on, young people. I saw it. That's the way to be saved. When did I get saved? at the age of 18. Where? On my knees at my bedside in a Roman Catholic lodging house. Why? Because I was under conviction of sin. I was a sinner. If I started to tell you some of the things that I did as a young man, you would be ashamed. You would shake your head. You'd be saying, ah, no, don't don't tell us that. But I'm not going to glorify the devil by saying anything that I've done in the past. Why? Because it's under the blood. God has said in thy sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. But here's the way to be saved. Jesus saith, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And that particular moment I called out, Lord, I'm a guilty sinner. I have done dreadful things. Lord, have mercy upon David. Save David in Jesus' name. I got up from my knees and went to bed. Had the best night's sleep ever I had. What happened? The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. I got up that morning. I was early. First thing I normally did was reach for the park drive. I had 10 of them sitting at the bedside. I took the 10 park drive and I put them, crumpled them up, put them in the waste bin. Lord, I don't need them today. I just had no desire to smoke park drive. And I've never smoked since. Glory to God. And you know, I went next door uh, there was a, a brethren man living, he, he, he went to, I think it was Brook Street Gospel Hall, at least I think he did, and um, I, I remember knocking on his door, this was about a quarter to eight, and he come down in his dressing gown and he said to me, yes young man, how can I help you? I, I says, um, I would like a Bible. And he says to me, when are you going to get saved? And I said, well what is that? He said, that's asking Jesus into your heart. And I said well I did that last night. Up in my bedroom. I called on the Lord save me. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he, here he is standing on his door. and Hallelujah. Glory to God. Listen. And he shouts up to his wife. She must have been up in bed. He's got saved. You see six months before that. I was lying out at four o'clock in the morning in James's street. There had been a fight. been a few bottles had been thrown. And I was lying there. And he was going to get out of bed and pull me in from the curb. Somebody would run over him. And his wife said, No, don't go out near him. He's drunk. He, he, he'll maybe hit you. He'll start a row. We'll just pray for him. And they got on their knees and they prayed for David to be saved. I'll tell you something else. My aunt used to work to a solicitor in this town. I believe the solicitor was called Newman. Some of you might know the, the, the Newman solicitors. And uh, Mrs. Newman was a godly woman. And from the day and hour that my mother died, to that woman was called home to glory. That woman prayed for David McLaughlin. And one of the prayers that she prayed was, Lord, save him as a boy and call him into your ministry. You know, whenever I got down to work, I was early. There was 20 Prentice joiners down in LMA construction at that time. I was in the workshop helping to make stairs and windows and doing other things. And I remember standing up on the workbench and um, I, I said, boys, I have something to tell you. Well, they all gathered around. Thought I'd won the lottery. Thought I was going to give them a few pounds. And uh, whenever they all gathered around, I said, I just want to tell you, I got saved last night. And there's no more fags. And there's no more boozing for David. And there's no more filthy magazines. And no more cursing. No more filthy talk. No more running to Kellys. I become a Christian. Well now you would expect it. These are fellow loyalists now. These are Protestants. You would expect a few cheers. Three cheers for David. Not a cheer. Do you know what they did? They laughed. They laughed. One of them said... I'll bet you £10 I can have him back in the pub in a week. Thank the Lord. That was over 40 years ago now. Just over 40 years. And the Lord has kept me to this day, kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. That's my confession of salvation. Behold, God is my salvation. And I want to press this home tonight. Have you got a testimony to the saving and keeping power of Christ? Can you you tell when you called on the Lord? Can you remember where? Can you remember why you got saved? Say a man tell me one time that he called on the Lord because he'd got financial difficulties and thought the Lord would help him with his financial difficulties, but that's not a reason to get saved. You get saved because you're aware that you're a sinner and you're under conviction of sin. And what way do you get saved? Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. The, 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 the publican, God be merciful to me, the sinner. And that man went home justified. That's the way to be saved. Calling on the Lord. Save me, Lord, Peter said. I perish. And what happens? You become a new creature. You're saved from sin's penalty, as I said this morning. You're saved from sin's power. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And not only that, he took the love of sinning out of my heart. I had no desire now for the cigarettes, no desire for the booze, no desire for Kelly's, no desire to, to curse and swear and read filthy magazines and treat girls as if they were sweets. See, I became a new creature. And one day, even though I'm not perfect, you ask my wife, one day i would be saved from sin's presence. Let me tell you this very quickly. Not only is there a confession to salvation, but there's a consecration To serve us. Listen to this verse 4 of Isaiah 12. Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his name is exalted. You see, I seem to have a love for singing. Not loyalist tunes any longer. Though I'm not against singing loyalist songs. But the songs of Zion thrill my heart. He died for me thrills my heart. I had a desire not only to sing praise, but I had a desire to go to the prayer meeting. Now, at that time, I was going to the congregational church here in New Row. That's where uh, Andy went to. And when I went there, there Reverend Colin McFarland, who's just turned 90, he was the minister there, and uh, there was only maybe about 20 people in the church, and the first Sunday I was there, somebody put a brick through the window, and I thought, well, the devil hates this place, and I'd just stay here and be a witness for Christ. I had a desire to go to the prayer meeting. I went into the prayer meeting, and I couldn't pray. There was 12 ladies in the prayer meeting, the first prayer meeting I was in. 12 ladies. God bless the ladies. Thank the Lord for them. And, and They could pray. And one of them nudged me and said, you pray. I says, I couldn't pray. What would I say? He says, well, are you saved? I said, yes. Well, you just pray. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. And there, sitting as a young man in that prayer meeting with those ladies and the sweat pouring out of me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. And they were overjoyed. They praised the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving this young man and bringing him into the prayer meeting. I had a love for the word of God. I started to read the Holy Scriptures. You know, after I got saved, the Reverend Workman was back in Coleraine rain one time doing a mission about three years later. And um, whenever he was there, I went to talk to him about getting into full-time service. And I said to him, I would like your advice. I'm thinking of going into full-time service. What do you recommend? And this is what he said, read your Bible. I says, well, I do read my Bible. Well, read it again. And you know, it was the best advice ever read your Bible, starting a Bible plan, Genesis through to Revelation. And, and we can follow McShane's Bible reading, and I recommend having a, a, a consecrated disciplined time of, of Bible reading. I was out in the open air, uh, give out tracts, um, took part in open air meetings down here in Coleraine, and then went to the faith mission for a time and, and spent two years there in training and another couple of years out in um, active service. During the 83, 84 years, the late Dr. Paisley came to this church on a Boxing Day service. He preached in Galatians 5 and 1, stand ever, surrender never, salvation forever. I never forget, I was up on the balcony. I stood up and shouted, Hallelujah, Dr. Paisley, preach it, we believe it. He, he was on fire for God. And that very afternoon, standing or sitting up there and standing like an idiot, shouting down at the late Dr. Paisley, that was my call to the free Presbyterian ministry. I knew God was calling me to this work. I resigned from the faith mission. I applied to join the Whitfield College of the Bible. Went to see Dr. Douglas and uh, he asked me, have you got any uh, qualifications, have you any A-levels or things like that? I said, well, I've got a spirit level. <laughs> well, you know how that went down. It went down like a lead balloon. But anyway, they accepted me for training in the Whitfield College of the Bible. I got married in the same year to Rosie. Uh, then after Bible college, I became an assistant to John Douglas for four years, and that was tremendous. Spent uh, about 18 months in Donica Day. And then 24 years ago, coming now 25 this year, I received a call to be the minister in Tarry Duff Free Presbyterian Church. And I thank the Lord for being consecrated to his service. Those early days of in the prayer meeting, reading the Bible, standing in the open air, listening to God's servants, loving the word of God, paved the way for me to be called into the service. I tell you one thing as we finish. There's also a commitment to sacrifice. You see, in the very porch there of the church as you go out, Rosemary and I, after we got engaged, were in cold rain here. Reverend George White was preaching. And uh, some of the elders may remember this. Uh, They spoke to Rosemary afterwards. And um, they they, they told her, you know, if your husband is called, or your husband-to-be is called into the Lord's work, there's going to have to be sacrifice. There'll be hurts, there'll be hardships. Oh, there'll be hallelujahs, but there'll be hurts and hardships. And are you prepared for that? And she remembers that. And of course, she had to bring that to the Lord and pray, Lord, help me to be a faithful helpmate to my husband. Committed to sacrifice. Let me tell you one little story as I go on. I remember getting the um, electric bill. We weren't that long married. We lived in a place called Acton outside Tandraghee, not that far from the Whitfield College of the Bible in Guildford, three or four miles away, and the electric bill came in. The electric bill was 76 pounds. Not a big lot of money, but it was 40 years ago. And I remember saying to her, how much money have we got? Well, she didn't not very much. And we'll have to think about the electric bill. And you know, we prayed about it that morning and I went off to college. We just left it with the Lord. This is proof that the Lord undertakes. The Lord is no man's debtor. And then the Whitfield College of the Bible, the Reverend Leot Austin Allen, he was um, doing the, the uh, devotions that morning and he said to me, "Good night. you'll do the service for me tonight. I've got called away to emergency meeting. Need somebody to cover the prayer meeting. You'll take the prayer meeting, David. Well, that's all right, Reverend Allen. I'll certainly do that for you. At the end of the meeting in Tandra the late Toss McHugh, all of these people are home in the glory. They were good people. And the late Toss McHugh said to me, Hand me the basket. He says, Take it with you. I says, Well, you need to count it, Mr. McHugh. Oh, he said, Aye, that's right, we better. Right, so he counted it out. Do you know what it come to? 76 pounds exactly. And I went home thumping the cure, shouting hallelujah and praising the Lord. Somebody would have thought that man's in drugs, he's in drink, that man's in Egypt. But you know, I, I was just, there's the Lord had wonderfully undertaken. You see, there is the confession of salvation. Do you have that? Is there a young man here who will consecrate himself to the service of God? Like Isaiah, here am I, Lord, send me. Are you willing to serve the Lord? Will you serve him with gladness? Will you consecrate yourself to sacrifice, hardship, hurts, whatever comes? And you'll bring all of that and you'll leave everything at the feet of the Lord and even cry out at times, Lord, help me. You see, he answers prayer. I finish with this. I have a lovely little granddaughter. She's coming too, and she goes about my house and she says, help me, help me. Help me, Grandad. It's not a tremendous prayer that we can bring to God. Help me, Lord. Whatever your struggle is, folks, and I don't know all of you, some I do, bring everything to the Lord and pray. It was down at the feet of Jesus. Leave it with him. And the storms, the struggle, the sacrifice, whatever it is, he will help you by his grace and by his love and by his power. We're going to sing in closing. I've gone a few minutes over the time, but I trust you'll bear with me. We're going to sing in closing hymn number 224.